Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. You only get one life. You might wish you maybe got more, but you only get one life. D.H. Lawrence said this, if only we could have two lives, the first one in which to make our mistakes and the second one in which to profit by them. But there are no dress rehearsals for life. You're on stage straight away. And we all make many mistakes. But the question is, how can we make the most of the rest of our lives? The good news is God loves you and God has a purpose for the rest of your life. And Paul describes how we can make the most of the rest of our lives in these verses, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 1 to 2. So Romans 1 through 11 is all about what God has done for us. Then in Romans 12, 1, he says this, and if you want to open your Bibles, you'll be, we'll be using Romans 12, 1 as sort of a touch point through most of the service. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so in view of all that God has done for you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Romans 12, 1-2. So what should we do? First thing he says, is break with the past. We're called to be different. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Or as J.B. Phillips translates it, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. The world, there is the world that is hostile to God, he says. This is the challenge. There's a huge pressure to conform. And let's be honest, at a church service like this on a Sunday, if there's any pressure, it's pressure to be Christian. But the moment you get back to work on Monday, the pressure is all the other way. 
and it's hard to be different. I heard about a young police officer who was doing his final exams and the first three questions on the paper were relatively easy and then he got to question four and question four went like this. You're on patrol in outer Melbourne when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find the large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognise the woman as the wife of your senior sergeant who is, present, who is presently away in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and then you realise he's a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly another man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into the Yarra River by the explosion and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. The officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> See, that's the temptation, is to take off our Christian uniform, if you like, and to mingle with the crowd. Just do what everybody else is doing. It's so much easier. But we're called to remain distinctive. And if you like, we're called to be a chrysalis rather than a chameleon. A chrysalis is a pupa that turns into a beautiful butterfly. A chameleon is a long-tailed lizard that changes colour according to the background it's on. So on a yellow background, it's yellow. On a brown background, it's brown. On a green background, it's green. And that's the temptation, is to be a Christian in the Christian environment. And as soon as we're not in a Christian environment, to move into that environment and to be like everybody else around us there. And that creates tension in our lives. Because we're one thing in one environment and another thing in another environment. And kids that are here today, I'd say the same when it comes to school. School is a melting pot for that exact thing. Now, we are called to be different. We're not called to be odd. Different, but not odd, right? You know, you're not called to wear odd clothes, to speak in an odd language. In fact, we're called to be normal. That's what our call is to be, is to be normal. Jesus was the most normal person, in one sense, who ever lived. He was the most fully integrated human being. He was who he was no matter where he was. So Paul says, break with the past and then make a new start. Be transformed, he says. Let God transform you in the, inwardly by a complete change, as one translation puts it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we have a fear of change. I don't know, maybe you come you know, on a weekend at church, maybe you've seen a change in a friend of yours or, or you've seen something, another person, you think, wow, their life is very attractive. At the same time, you think, Ugh, I'm not sure if I want to become like that. What would it mean to make that change? There were two caterpillars sitting on a leaf one time and they saw this beautiful butterfly flying past. And one caterpillar said to the other, 
You won't catch me going up in one of those. The point is this, God God is not going to ask you to leave behind stuff that is good. God loves you. He wants the very best for your lives. And he only asks you to leave behind the rubbish in your life. Nikki Gumbel was asked to take a funeral for someone who was a street person, someone who'd lived out on the streets. And as you know, people who live on the streets, they're like any other community. Their church uh, in, in Brompton runs a night shelter and some of the people there are absolutely wonderful and they're amazing people. Others of them are a little bit difficult. And this lady fell into the a little bit difficult category. Now, normally if someone's been living out in the streets and they're a little bit difficult, and she was quite rude and quite aggressive, you wouldn't expect very many people to be at her funeral. However, this woman actually inherited a huge estate long before she died. She'd become a very wealthy woman. She had several million pounds. She had an apartment in Pont Street and she had lots of valuable paintings. And it was pointed out where there's a will, there are relatives. And so it proved. When Nick arrived at the funeral, there were masses of people there, long lost cousins from Australia, executives, lawyers, and so Nikki was fascinated to find out why did she continue living on the streets. So eventually he got around to asking one of them, and and this is the answer he got. I guess she didn't want to leave behind the life she knew. To me, that's absolutely bizarre. But we see this happening with so many people. With all that Jesus offers, life in all its fullness... And people say, but, but I don't want to leave behind basically the rubbish in their lives. And unless we leave behind the rubbish, we can't enjoy all the treasures that God has for us. And in Romans 12, Paul sets out some of these treasures that God has for us. Sincere love, he says. And what is sincere love? Well, the word he actually uses there is anupokritos in the Greek. I'm sure I pronounce it terribly, but it means unhypocritical. And upokritos was the mask that put on when they wore in 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 a play, put on a Greek play. And in life, we can put on masks. If we're not comfortable with who we are, we put on a mask. But the trouble with this is that nobody ever sees you. They just see the you that you project on your mask. And you get two masks meeting. This is all about image or spin or whatever you like to call it. And what happens when you know God loves you, God loves you so much as you are, you can drop the mask and you can just be you. You can be authentic. You can be real. That's what it means to be a human being loved by God. That's what God wants for our lives. And when that happens, you get real connection happening. You may even observe in your own small group, for those who are in small groups, 
You know, it's amazing how quickly it happens. So often the first week a small group meets, you know, a new small group might be beginning and it seems like there's a whole bunch of masks meeting and then gradually people start to drop their masks. People start to be open, to be honest, to be vulnerable. We think that, you know, we'll impress people by our strengths, but we connect with people through our vulnerabilities. When people drop the masks, you get these amazing relationships beginning to form. Paul goes on to say another treasure is, is enthusiasm in your relationship with God. He writes, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In other words, don't just have a one-off experience of God. You know, th- this is meant to be for a lifetime. What matters is the long term. Where are you going to be in your relationship with God in 10 years' time? That's what matters, not your initial experience. It's a bit like a honeymoon and a marriage. You can have a great honeymoon, but you might have a terrible marriage, or you can have a terrible honeymoon and you might have a great marriage. Kelly and I went on our honeymoon to Brampton Island on the Whit Sundays. We arrived on the island in the middle of the day, a perfect day, sun shining, calm waters, these beautiful black and blue butterflies just flying everywhere. It was truly magical. As soon as we got there, well, it just looked like a, a, a tropical playground. And we decided to go sailing straight away. So we just put the life vest on and went sailing. Well, I forgot the sunscreen on the bits of skin not covered by the life vest. And my Tasmanian complexion, let's say, wasn't up to all that sun and I got terribly sunburnt, particularly on my shoulders. It was um, quite interesting then as we were sitting there and all these birds, they flock and sit on you at mealtimes. And so I had these birds clawing their way onto my shoulders, which were red raw. And Kenny's like, oh, hold on, I'll take a photo. Oh, that was so sore. I was like, ah! I don't know what my face ended up looking like in that photo, but there we go. But I had heard another couple who once went on their honeymoon and they, like us, went somewhere really hot. And the first day, both of them forgot to put on sunscreen and they spent the whole day lounging in the sun by the water. They couldn't touch each other for the whole honeymoon. (laughs) Another couple I heard about went on a barge in Europe for their holiday The barge sank and they had to get the bus home. Well, 65 years later, they're really happily married. See, that's what matters, the long term. Just like in a good marriage, the relationship gets better and better as the marriage goes on. So your relationship with God is meant to get better and better and better. That's what matters, the long term. And God loves you. He wants the best for everything. You know, talking of marriage, it is an amazing gift of God. God came out with that. This is one of the treasures that God has. God came out with the idea of marriage. He came out with the idea of sex. Think about it. It was his idea. He's not surprised by it. He's not looking down from heaven and saying, goodness gracious me, what will they get up to next? 
You know, pleasure is God's invitation, not the devil's. The devil wants to distort and destroy things that are good and beautiful. And this was God's idea, and it's a beautiful gift. There's a whole book in the Bible about delight, contentment, and the satisfaction that it brings. But the inventor, designer, because he loves us, says, look, this is my beautiful gift to you. This is how you use this gift. And Jesus quotes from the book of Genesis, which says, For this reason a man shall leave his father, father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Genesis 2, from the beginning. It's God's gift. And there's a public act of leaving. There's a gluing together, not just physically, but biologically and emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and socially. And that is the context of this one flesh union that takes place. And it's beautiful. It is the most well romantic view, actually, apart from anything else, of sex and marriage and relationship. And it's God's plan. It's God's purpose. There's no such thing, actually, as casual sex, because this word that's used here for becoming one flesh is like being glued together. You take two pieces of corrugated cardboard, one with a picture of a man and one with a picture of a woman. Glue those two together, let the glue set, let it dry, and then if you try to pull them apart, you see the damage that is caused, the hurt. And all around in our society, we see broken hearts. There's people whose lives are hurt and messed up, and that's not what God wants because he loves you. He does not want anyone to get hurt. And Paul doesn't condemn these people. Actually, the society he was writing to was very immoral. And there's no sense of condemnation here at all. He just says, don't do this any longer. He doesn't say you, you're terrible people for doing this in the past. He just says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. God forgives. We can always make a new start. Every day can be a new start. Today can be a new start for you. In the Bible, you see some of the other beautiful things about love. You know, this is so radical, Jesus' teaching about love. And Paul, and how, how he expounds it, Jesus said, love your enemy. And Paul goes on to expound this. He says, don't take revenge. He says, bless those who curse you. Love your enemies. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. That's pretty, cool, pretty radical love. To be a Christian is really radical. It's not just, oh, I'm going to be a little bit of a nicer person. It's radical. This is all about radical love. Love for God, love for, for other people, love for your enemy. And it's amazing and so beautiful. These are treasures which God has in store when we leave behind the rubbish. So how do we do it? Well, present your bodies. That's what Paul says. That is everything you have. Your time. You know, time is our most valuable possession. You can get more money, but you can't get more time. And one of the things I've noticed is the moment someone puts their trust in Jesus, priorities change. It's so easy to get our priorities wrong. 
You know, I came across this advert in an East African newspaper. It's a real, it's actually a genuine advert. It was a farmer, a Kenyan farmer who was looking for a wife. And he advertised in the personal columns of the East African Standard. And this is the advert he put in. Nanyuki farmer seeks lady with tractor. With view to companionship and possible marriage. Please send picture of tractor. It's very easy to get our priorities wrong. But when you experience God's love and a relationship with God, your priorities change and people become the most important thing. Relationships become the most important thing. Your relationship with God. And what I would encourage you to do is to put that first. Make a commitment today. Every day, I'm going to spend a few minutes praying and reading the Bible. That will transform your relationship with God. That's communication. All relationships are based on communication. And then you need other people. You can't do this on your own. So I'm going to make small group a priority. You know, that evening, a priority. I'm going to make church a priority. You know, it's an hour and a half each week. You know, what is that? What's an hour and a half a week to come together with a group of amazing people, to worship God, hear a message that hopefully is relevant to your life, and to pray for one another? This is how you keep your relationship with God and prioritize it. Then ambitions. Give him our ambitions. Should a Christian be ambitious? Well, Jesus' answer is yes. He commands us to be ambitious. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other stuff that people seek after, all of that will be yours as well. What he's saying is don't make the secondary things your primary ambition. You know, it's, it's so sad. It's, it's so sad, isn't it, when people make money their primary ambition? I mean, what is the point of that? I mean, supposing you made by the end of your life $500 billion. I don't think anyone has ever made more than that. Suppose you break the record of global wealth ever and suppose you have made $500 billion and you get to heaven. You get to heaven and you say to God, here I am. God says, well, what have you done with your life? Well, I've made $500 billion, God says. Oh, wow, that's going to be so useful here. We can play Monopoly in heaven. <laughs> now, other people, they make their ambition. You know, I want to be the chairman of a major national corporation. I want to be the CEO of the Commonwealth Bank. I mean, what a pa pathetic ambition. You get to heaven, what did you do with your life? Oh, well, well, I was the CEO of the Commonwealth Bank. Oh, well done. We haven't had one of those here before. What's the point? Now, as a secondary ambition, brilliant. If your primary ambition is the kingdom of God, if you say, I want to make lots of money because I know that through that money, I can eradicate disease, I can help the poor, I can make a real difference in the world, brilliant ambition. 
I want to become the CEO of the Commonwealth Bank because that's such a prominent position in our society. That's a place where I can make a real difference to people's lives, a difference to our society, a difference to God's kingdom. Brilliant ambition. Go for it. But don't make it your primary ambition. The kingdom of God and his righteousness is what we are called to make our primary ambition. You know, money is such a blessing. You know, what you can do with money, what you can do if you give generously. You know, I'd encourage you to determine the most, to, to be the most genuine giver that you know, because generous giving is so liberating. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you want to be really blessed, then give lots. Become the most generous person you know. Then what about our ears? What do we listen to? Do we just listen to rubbish or gossip or something? Or do you listen to stuff that really builds you up and encourages you? Or our eyes? We can use our eyes to look in lust and jealousy at all the stuff. Or we can look at people and say, that's a person who God loves. That's a person who Jesus died for. I'm going to love that person. I want to bring blessing to that person. How can I bring God's love to them, with our mouths. You know, James says the tongue is so powerful. It's so small, but so powerful. With this little thing, you can curse someone. You can wreck someone's day. You can actually wreck someone's life with your tongue. But he says you can also bless people. And determine, say, I want to use my tongue for the rest of my life to bless people. Do you realise with just a few words you can encourage someone to make a huge difference to that person's day? Encouragement is like verbal sunshine. It doesn't cost anything, but it warms people's hearts. It changes their lives. And you can bring blessing every single day of your life to someone with this little instrument. What about our hands? Do we use them to take or to serve? Our sexuality, is it for our own gratification or for the good and pleasure of our marriage partner? You can't pick and choose. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the extraordinary paradox is this. We think that if we do that, we'll lose our freedom. Actually, it's the way we find our freedom. St. Augustine said his service, serving God, is perfect freedom. That's what I've found. The more I'm surfing, serving God, the freer I feel. And so he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The means that there will be a cost. Jesus didn't come to make your life easy. He came to make you great. And that means there'll be a lot of challenges. And what we have to do, for a start, there's the challenge of getting rid of the rubbish. It's only rubbish, but at the time it might seem like that's what we're used to and we don't want to get rid of it. Then there's the challenge of also being willing to fly his flag in what can seem like a hostile environment around us. So Monday morning, you're back at work and you're standing by the photocopier or the coffee machine and there's a group of your colleagues around and some of your friends and someone says to you, so how was your weekend? And you say, oh, yeah, my weekend was great, thank you. Oh, what did you do? 
Uh, well, uh, yeah, I went into Wangaratta. Oh, yeah? What did you do in Wangaratta? Oh, uh, well, uh, I met up with about 70 or 80 other people and, oh, really? Wow. I didn't know you were allowed to meet in groups that size. Where, where did you meet them? What, what did you do? Oh, well, we sort of um, sang, um, sang some songs together. Really? Songs? Oh, that's right. You're not in New South Wales. I guess that's okay. Then we kind of sat and sort of listened to this guy talk for a while and we kind of sang another song and most of us had some morning tea. Yeah, so, so, so that's what I did. I went to church, a Christian church, the Baptist one, yeah, yeah. You know, here's some good news. They're not going to kill you. In some parts of the world... They might kill you if you said you were a Christian. But here, what's the worst that can happen to you? They'll laugh at you? It's not so bad. So that's how do we do it? I heard of a wealthy English baron called Baron Fitzgerald. This man, he only had one son. And this son, tragically, while he was away from home, died very young. This guy was so devastated, he said, what am I going to do? And he decided to invest his life in paintings, old masters. He went around the world collecting these very valuable paintings. And when he died, his will called for there to be an auction. And at this auction, there were people, again, from all over the world. And they came because there were such valuable paintings. And they came to bid for them. But he laid down his will, very, in, very careful instructions about what was to happen at the auction. And he said that the first painting that he wanted sold was a painting of my beloved son. And this was a painting that was done way before he got interested in art. It wasn't particularly well done. And it was really of very little value except for some sentimental value. In fact, only one person bid for it someone who had worked for the family and who knew the son and who loved the son. He bid for it and he got it for a very small sum. And the second clause in the will said this, whoever buys my son gets everything, the auction is over. That's what Paul is saying. Whoever buys, God says, whoever buys my son gets everything. God will give along with, with Jesus if God was prepared to give his, his only son for you because he loves you so much, will he not give you also everything else as well? And Paul says he wants you to present your body as a living sacrifice so that you can prove what God's will is for your life. God's will for your life is good, he says. That's to say God has good things for you to do in your life. It is pleasing. It will please you. And it is perfect. That's to say, you can't do better than God. There's no point in saying, I can do it without God. We're not meant to do it without God. This is meant to be a relationship, a partnership. We go through life with him. And that's what makes it so exciting. You have great things ahead of you in your life. God loves you. He has poured his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. He's given you this bubbling love for other people, for the world, to love your enemy. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us this love. 
and He has a great purpose for your life that is good, pleasing and perfect. And He wants you to make a difference with your life. And you know what? You can make a difference with your life. You are a child of God, full of the Holy Spirit. You can go out and make a difference in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Son that you have given freely for us and that we are indeed children of God, full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you have called us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. You've called us to follow you, to not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by you, by your Spirit. And so, Lord, the question is, how can I make the most of the rest of my life? It's pretty simple. Serve you, honour you, glorify you. Bring the hope that you have given me to others. And so, Lord, I pray that you would entrust that very special job personally to each one of us. And that we would find those good things that you have prepared in advance for us each to do. That we would know what your will is. Your good, perfect and pleasing will. Lord, I pray that we indeed would make a difference. In the name of Jesus. Amen.